0: Hey, I'm Nyland, the Associate Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the -the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the world of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of plays, musicals, movies, and TV shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, And craft, as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like, subscribe, wherever you find your podcast. We're available on all platforms or by visiting DramaLeague.org. Thanks for listening and for Talking Direction.
1: Welcome to Talking Direction. The unique production company, Artistic Stamp, believes in the joy and delight of telling interactive stories, and they do this by creating thrilling, entertaining, thought-provoking plays by post. It's a performance created by a playwright and a team that takes place over months through a series of crafted letters sent back and forth. It's a bespoke adventure tailored for each participant, and it offers an opportunity to interact directly with the stories, to truly engage. The journey begins at artisticstamp.com and is the brainchild of two stage directors, the incredible husband and wife team of Shelley Butler and Wes Tyler. Shelley directed the world premiere of Lucas Nath's A Doll's House Part II at South Coast Rep and the Japanese premiere of Beautiful, the Carol King musical at the Imperial Theater in Tokyo, among other Broadway, Off-Broadway, and regional theater productions. West was the scene director of Cirque du Soleil Paramore on Broadway. And his credits include Jersey Boys, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and multiple productions for Big Apple Circus at Lincoln Center. Season one and season two of Artistic Stamp are available now, but I should say their most successful production in my mind to date is their adorable son, Dashiell. Shelley and West, welcome to Talking Direction.
2: Hello, thank you for having us.
1: Hi, Gabriel. We're also Drama League alums. Drama you, alum. <laughs> you are. Thank you for the plug. I appreciate it. Okay, so let's talk about artistic stamp because this is one of my favorite ideas that has emerged, at least emerged in my head during the pandemic. So, for our listeners who may not be familiar with artistic stamp, how how did this idea first come to you both? Um, maybe I'll start with you, West.
3: Yeah. So, you know, like everyone in theater, we lost all of our work in March. Shelly and I both had these sort of banner years. We had five shows. We'd worked 20-year careers to get to this stage. And then in the space of two weeks, it was all gone. So we were trying to figure out how to keep what we loved about live theater going in this age of no social gathering. And we were doing Zoom plays and that sort of stuff, but it wasn't really cracking it for us. So the Orchard Project arranged something called the Liveness Lab, and they had 200 creators who got together to explore how do we give the feeling of liveness in this sort of COVID pandemic age. And there were all these breakout rooms, and there was one for AR, and there was one for VR, and there was one for Zoom theater, and all these different things. And there was also a breakout room for text message plays, plays by mail, and plays by email. And I asked the people who ran, I said, could I go into this room? And when I went in there, there were only two other people. This had like 200 people as part of this lab, and there were people all over these breakout rooms. But this room, it was only me and a couple of others. And as we started to talk about The letter writing experience, we realized how close it is to what we loved about theater. Um, It is an analog experience. There's nothing digital about it. It is person to person. Uh, There's no sort of digital virtual buffer. You share a space, even if it's the shared space of a piece of paper, the shared space of an envelope. And so I think live, when we say live, we've come to mean simultaneous in time, but that's not really what we mean when we say live. When we say live, we mean analog, direct, person-to-person in a shared space. And in that sense, letter writing is live. So we realized this sort of gave us an opportunity during the pandemic to do what we loved about live theater in a way that was safe for everybody.
1: Wow. Uh, I, I was also in the liveness lab at the orchard project this summer, and I had no idea. It was so exciting, but it was, for me, it was a bunch of theater people exploring technology very rapidly. And so I love that you actually found letter writing as part of 200 artists trying to explore having to go online. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think, maybe the mechanics aren't clear. So let's talk a little bit about how it works. Shelly, when I sign up at the Artistic Stamp website, what happens to me?
2: Sure, so you'll choose your play or your adventure, as we started to call them, and you will receive a letter in the mail from a character in that story. And you will write back. And how you respond will shape and alter the narrative. And then you'll continue a conversation with that character over the course of four months uh, and six different letters in that arc, uh, you'll write back five times, hopefully. Uh, and it's sometimes it's somewhat of a one-on-one experience, although you're not always dialoguing with that same character. Sometimes other characters make an a, an appearance, maybe question the main narrator's role, but that's how it plays out for the audience. I'll pull back the curtain a little and talk about the mechanics beyond that and say that, so we commissioned these playwrights and they've created these letter arcs and they have really, each letter they've crafted and they've crafted uh, more than those six letters because there are branches as well that you can choose uh, along the way. So they've crafted many letters, but actors actually handwrite the letter. And in addition to handwriting it, they are improv So when you write back, they are actively listening to what you have said, and then they're going to improv a portion of that letter and then thread it back into the main narrative.
1: So uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I'm a little agog because the idea of being able to interact with a playwright who has crafted a story, but is actually going to engage with me in real time is so exciting, you know, especially given some of the playwrights that you have contracted with to do this work with Liz Duffy Adams and Tim Wong, these, these amazing writers are, are what did they, how do I want to ask this question? Do they know the story ahead of time or does it really depend on what someone writes back to them?
2: Well, it's a little bit different from season one to season two, especially because we've brought back some of the stories from season one into season two. But I'll talk about when we began, we asked each of our writers for an outline, right? So it was, it was seven letters in season one and now we've compressed it to six because that actually felt like a more satisfying journey for our audience members, but they had outlined the shape of it and they had written the first two letters. Uh, And then we sort of, held tight and saw what we got back Uh, and then they made different choices somewhat based on that so they are not writing every individual audience member the actors are doing that Uh, but based on the responses they did make a lot of changes to those stories
3: right we have a cast of about 45 actors gabriel And so each actor has about 10 audience members. And what happens if you write back saying, you know, I just did this podcast today before I read your letter. Sorry, I'm getting this out late. Then the actor will write back, oh, that podcast sounds amazing. Tell me more about it. You know, I once did a podcast once and then they will go into the text that the playwright has given them. So you feel each letter feels very individualized and very personalized and you truly have a pen pal relationship.
1: Were the playwrights excited by this idea when they came on? I mean, it really is an interesting thing for a playwright who usually works in, you know, some sort of isolation on a first draft and, and really uh, in, engages with an audience very late in a process. Um, what, was the, what was the response of the playwrights?
2: Well, the playwrights who signed up, first they had to, to decide to uh, <laughs> jump into this adventure with us. And the playwrights that wanted to do this, who all happened to be brilliant, were really excited about the idea. It's a little bit easier, season two, with, you mentioned, Timothy and Liz, because we know better what we're asking. So the first group was really on an adventure because we had never done it before and it hadn't been done at all in this way that we were trying to do it. Uh, But they have so we were able to bring more information into it when we asked Liz and Timothy to get on board and we're able to show them examples of completed arcs from other playwrights. And
3: they, you know, we got very different responses from people who were excited in different ways. I mean, John Sood, from the very beginning, wanted to write a romance. So in his play, you are writing and receiving love letters. You are involved in an epistolary romance with a character. Um, You know, Matt Schatz really wanted to do a piece where you receive a letter From the person that lived in your house 20 years ago. And he had to write a school assignment his senior year, you know, who will I be in 20 years? And then that letter is mailed 20 years later. So you get this letter from, you know, 2000 saying, I think in 20 years I'll be this, this, that, and that. And it's all about nostalgia and the way things have changed. The world isn't what we expected. So they came in with very strong ideas about how these plays would play out.
2: We have found that people who write musicals are a great fit for this because it is a collaborative in a larger sense, because certainly you're collaborating with us, you're collaborating with the actors, but you are actively collaborating with the audience. You, you can't simply say no, everything has to have a version of yes and. So, so it has to be a writer who is interested in that. If you wanna say sort of, here's my art, it's finished, um, here you go, it, it actually won't work. <laughs> you have to be interested in setting up the rules of the game in terms of how you're gonna engage with your audience and you have to be interested in them responding to you. <laughs> if you are not yeah. interested in that, you know it's, it's not a right fit.
1: It seems crucial that that the format of letter writing is a place where it begins. When you talk about a series of love letters or, or I know another piece deals with history, there are, um, at the core of the way this story is going to be told, it's different than the we, way we might tell it on a stage because we are getting a response that affects where we go you know
2: that's right I, you know working with liz right now we got the draft of her first letter in and we said this is this is brilliant it's gorgeous writing i love the story here's what the audience is going to say we can tell you right now that they're going to uh, they're going to yell out this information and she said oh but i i don't i don't want them to know that yet and we said you know you can't you can't control that you actually have to take that in and be excited that that it might branch in that direction. And then she got really charged up and created a branch for that possibility.
3: Um, I wanna talk a little what you said about the historical one, Gabriel. So that's Ida where you're corresponding with Ida B. Wells. And November, Christine who wrote that did something really brilliant where it's not uh, Ida B. Wells that we know You know, who's very famous and was even back then the most famous black woman in America. But it's Ida before she became famous. So it's right uh, when she's moved to Memphis, and the audience is cast as her best friend in Holly Springs. And she's trying to navigate this world in Memphis. Uh, This is the 1880s, right as the reconstructions happening, right as Jim Crow laws are getting written. And she's asking the audience, you know, how do I navigate this new world? And what should I do? Should I put my energy into becoming an investigative journalist? Or into trying to have a you know a marriage and a home life and all these other things, and there's all these different branches. Now they're all going to end up in the same place because she's going to become Ida B. Wells. But during this time in Memphis, before she uh, moves to Chicago and starts writing, uh, she she has all these different ways she can get to discovering who she needs to be.
1: I I'm so fascinated by the fact that it feels a little bit like a runaway train (laughs) that you just try to hold on to um, as a creative team, you know, that, that really where it goes is unexpected. And that, that makes me really think about both of you as directors and, you know, you're on a podcast called talking direction that focuses on directors. Do you feel that your experiences of stage directors comes into play here? And, and are these plays directed in any sense of that word?
2: Absolutely. It's seizing on a lot of our skills. And also, uh, we've learned something, I think, in this process that we are really excited to take back into our stage work uh, uh, beyond artistic stamp. But, uh, you know, in in the smaller ways, perhaps dramaturgically, the same way that I would collaborate on a new play and developing a new play, we're actively doing that constantly with all of these pieces. In terms of working with the actors, we are In conversation with them, in terms of them staying in the voice of the character, some of these pieces have um, links to some recordings, which would say has the opportunity for more traditional directing of what those recordings sound like. But the big discovery for us has been the relationship with the audience, centralizing the experience of the audience. You know, as a director, I'm always thinking about where do I direct the attention of the audience? I'm staging something, what am I lighting? What is the sound guiding them towards? Uh, what is the staging bringing forward? But in this case, we're really thinking about the experience of the audience, how we encourage that and guide that. And that is something, you know, uh, 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 harkening back to early days of assisting, I worked with Bill Roush on a show and I remember at intermission, he started polling the audience. And I was really freaked out, um, uh, part, partly because I'm something of an introvert, but also because it, uh, it, it blew my mind a little to just actively ask them what they thought about different things. And, you know, Bill said to me at the time, well, Shelley, who are we making the theater for? Mm. Uh, and that has really stuck with me as we experience artistic stamp. You know, we know how the audience feels. We know when a letter is successful, when it's intimately struck a chord, because they write back and they tell us, or they don't write back, or um, they get really personal with something, or they it taps on nostalgia or humor. We really have a connection to an audience that I have not felt. And so uh, that's thrilling to think about how we want that to play a role role in stage directing in the future.
3: And I think that's right about education, too, when you train directors. I think, you know, I went to grad school at UCSD, and everything was about staging and working with actors and working with designers, but there wasn't a lot of training on how do you work with the audience? How do you make uh, sure that theater is a two-player game where the audience has agency and where it's really give and take between what the actors are giving and what the audience is giving?
1: I, I agree with you, Wes. I also think it talks to, you know, maybe something that we need to talk about more in the theater, which is the idea of the audience as a monolith. Um, some of the most exciting performances I've seen in the last few years prior to the pandemic were micro performances, where Christine Jones is one person in a box shows, and and shows that really dug into a personal relationship, even if it's just for a few minutes with an audience member. And this piece really, everything about Artistic Stamp leans into the idea that audiences aren't monolithic. Um,
2: I love that, Gabriel. And I I talk about that Christine Jones as an influence as well, that theater for one, which I I found really thrilling. And you know, uh, while I'm definitely inspired by the collective heartbeat of the communal experience and something I'm, I'm missing and hungry for, I'm really aware of the ability for the audience to have an independent response, you know, um, it, it, to not be swayed by a collective laugh, but to find what they find funny, funny, or moving, or touching, or how we um, elicit empathy within that, which is not, a, you know, monolithic in terms of approach. Uh, I am really keyed into that idea as well.
3: You know, Gabriel, I feel like I've reconnected with my roots a little bit. When I was in undergrad, uh, I got very interested in the work of Augusto Boal and the type of work he was doing with Theater of the Oppressed. Um, you know, and he had that great Friere saying that you teach me uh, how to how to how to I'll teach you how to work a plow and you'll teach me how to spell a plow. So there's a real give and take relationship. And all of that, you know, he said, it's all political. If the audience is sitting in the dark, quiet, not moving, while the actors are in the light moving, that's a political uh, nature of an impressive system. So I, you know, I did musicals, and I went into art. And I I thought, oh, well, well, wow, you know, I guess I'll never get to do that kind of work. And now with artistic stamp, I feel like we are actually getting to do that kind of work that it has most in common with that kind of political interactive theater.
1: Has anything about that surprised either of you, the, you know, either where the people are coming from or who they are, or uh, perhaps a a specific experience that, you know, when they wrote back that really struck you? What surprised you about this process?
2: Yes. Well, I'll talk broadly first and say that. we initially thought we really had to engineer it to get a response. So all of our first letters from, from season one, we were really trying hard to, to make sure that they write back. Um, and we found that we didn't need to do that at all, that people were hungry to connect and eager to respond, and that they are responding in surprising ways. Um, there's one piece in particular that has triggered a lot of artists response so they bought a ticket to our show and we are getting back works of art they are beautifully drawn and you do not have to be uh, that kind of fine artist to participate in this at all but I've been surprised by the volumes of beautiful things that have been sent back to us.
3: And multi-page letters we get from people, you know, we we include a postcard with every letter, so it's pre-stamped, pre-addressed. All you have to do is write a few sentences on it and drop it in the mail. But audiences forgo that for long 7-8 page letters that they send back revealing very personal information. Um I also want to talk a little about accessibility with that Gabriel. You know, we're able We have audiences now in very remote places, very rural places, audiences that couldn't get to the theater. Uh, We have audiences who have mobility issues, um, older audiences who wouldn't necessarily be able to get to the theater. Uh, We're now trying to make our work available for blind and visually impaired. And we have a business that will do braille transcriptions of our plays by mail. So it's in addition to all this other stuff, it's also a way to increase accessibility.
1: I, I actually think if there is one bright light about 2020 and theater and the pandemic, it is that we have really reckoned with accessibility West in, in ways that I think will last for a really long time. We are realizing that we have to reach beyond the borders of our theater walls um, to have these kinds of conversations. I think there's, you know, when I think about artistic stamp in particular, I'm curious of like, you are reaching beyond the borders of the United States. Do you have readers around the world?
3: Well, we've just started uh, a Canadian, we have some people in Canada for season one, and we're increasing our Canadian branch for season two. Um, We're talking to some companies in the UK right now. It has to be Uh, bit by bit, this expansion, because of course, it takes too long for letters to go internationally for our season to work. Uh, We have to have letters sent and received within these different countries, but we are having those conversations. And of course, Gabriel, I am talking to people in Bulgaria.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I should tell everyone, West is bringing it up because you have both worked extensively internationally, uh, but as part of the Drama League's global exchange program, you both spent time with us in Bulgaria uh, and you both worked on a production that West ultimately directed of Avenue Q, which has been just an enormous success there. Um, so yes, I'm waiting for my first Bulgarian letter uh, from artistic staff that we can send there. Um, but, you know, it is it is really interesting how a story travels in space. And I think uh, early on, I, I'm going to misquote you, Wes, but early on if you, uh, in this podcast, you said that we have been defining theater as something that is um, a collective experience in space and time. And it is interesting to think about how artistic stamp expands time, that there is time to reflect on a letter before you respond that there is the time that it travels where you wonder what's happening on the other side where the the reader may wonder what the right, other readers going to write back and those kind of things it, it you know all of that affects storytelling i think um i, oh, I don't definitely
3: i mean otherwise you know this began in September. They got their first letter, and it was leading up to this huge spell they were going to have to craft on the longest night of the year. Well, now the longest night of the year is two weeks away, so it began in September, knowing it was heading to November twentieth or December twentieth sorry it
1: does the um does the the timeline you've just laid out affect? Do you think either the the stories that you and the Artistic Stamp team put out or the reader responses? Um, I guess what I'm asking is if these letters went back and forth over email and it happened in a week, I think it would be a different story, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: There's a lot to that. I mean, not only time, but also
3: handwriting I mean having a handwritten letter uh, this sort of a lost art form but the handwriting expresses so much about personality we realized because we have different actors on the same series how much their handwriting influences your perception of the character it's uh, it literally is as much as if you had a different actor playing Hamlet on stage you know two different actors a completely different Hamlet well writing it down how they write it their basic handwriting not even to mention what words they capitalize how they improv what they under line all of that gives a lot of meaning to things and because you have control over what's on the page um, not whereas email you don't you know they are basically giving you a couple font options etc but you can doodle you can draw you can write notes in the margins it becomes a totally different experience
2: I think there's also something about the anticipation for the next chapter that changes it so you're you are imagining what what you might get back Uh, And that, I think that sort of deepens your investment.
1: Uh, And not only that, Shelley, I think with the uh, deepening of the investment, but also the connection with a stranger, I think is also a lost art in our culture. I think um, the, you know, I deal a lot with... um, in, in civil justice work and, and equity work, we know that if you know, for instance, an LGBTQ person, you are 87% more likely to support LGBTQ equality. Um, simply having that frame of reference changes the way people perceive another human being. Artistic Stamp lets us know Ida B. Wells and lets us have a romance with a stranger. And all of, you know, I wonder if there's potentiality, I guess, for a culture shift in this work. Do you feel that's something that's possible? Uh
3: I definitely do. I mean, you know, I think there's, when we talk about representation, I think there's two things to talk about. One is uh, making sure that people see themselves represented. So, you know, you see yourself on stage, you see yourself in film and in books. And then I think the other thing is people seeing other people represented so that you're able to connect and empathize with lives lived differently from your own. Um, And Ida B. Wells, I feel like especially people in the rural parts of the country that are riding to IDA, uh, this is a very different time period. Obviously, it's 1880s, but the whole show is about civil rights justice and the injustices that are impacted upon Black people in uh, Memphis at that time. Um, and the end of it really is sort of a call to action, and you become Ida's friend. So when you see these injustices happening, it feels like they're happening to a friend of yours. So I think it it does make people feel like they want to get more engaged in Black Lives Matter. Um, I think Constellation Melody, which is a queer a musical where there's sort of a composer there's a musicologist that reaches out to you and there's three different composers throughout time who've all dreamed the same melody and the musicologist is trying to figure out why that happened and it was it sort of in the collective queer unconscious or was it had to do with the constellations or wh- why did the, what is the mystery of this and the audience sort of determines where the key lies but all of these things you know whether it is you're you're a queer person writing that show and you feel great there's a story for you, or you're a straight person involved in that show and you're feeling like you're having these relationships. I think either way, you're sort of pushing the country forward. I think it is all about progress towards equity. And I think both those things do that.
2: And that kind of proximity to the story has the ability to elicit empathy. And I think in a way that we hope the very best theater does but it's
1: a direct response. Well, and that direct response is, again, related to access concerns. You know, what stories we as the American theater choose to tell, what what stories Artistic Stamp decides to tell, what artists tell those stories, and and who is paid to be in the room and who is paid fairly to be in the room. And then also, especially with this experience, what audience members um, have access to participate? You know, or how are you wrestling with all of these issues of fairness and of equity and anti-racism? How's how's it coming into play at at artistic stamp as you develop this new new idea and this new company?
3: Well, I mean, f- let me say first that. We recognize that theater has failed in this. I I think we all got into theater because it, it made the promise of being a place where you could go if you felt marginalized, you could go if you felt depressed, and it was a world where you would be met with open arms, right? That was the whole thing in high school when most of us got into it or into college, that it was a family where we all got equality, where we all were safe, where we all were equals. And then you find out that we failed at that, right? There is not equity in the American theater. Um, That SDC report talking about directors that came out, Uh, women directors are paid less than men, Um, uh, persons of color directors are paid less than white directors, you know, so that's something where theater's got to live up to the promise of its potential, we've got to meet that. Um, I think also, there's, there's the world of nonprofit, regional theater, where you need to change sort of the whole system where the board needs to change to become more diverse, where the admin staff needs to change to become more diverse. Um, We're in a slightly different place because we're starting from scratch. So we don't have to sort of, you know, rethink the whole thing. We can build this from the ground up right now. The admin staff is only Shelly and I, Um, but we have for season two, been able to make some promotions. So we promoted Michelle miners um, to a creative director and Marie France Arcilla to supervising dramaturg. Uh, Both of those are women of color on our plays we made one of our actors team leaders on each place, kind of like a dance captain, if you're a choreographer. And it's an entirely female team leaders on all of our uh, system. And when we do hire someone in a positional power equal to us, we're committed to that being a BIPOC person.
2: Certainly uh, in, our, in our choices about playwrights, you know, I'll say first, actually, it's wild to contrast the experience I typically have as a freelancer Working within uh, and and having to fight existing structures and fight to change within structural situations uh, to contrast that with starting something new in this moment is just a wild experience. Uh, I would say there are some there's some freedom and excitement in just getting to hire people. You know, as a as a as a freelancer, I have control over what I pitch maybe, or what I accept, but I'm never commissioning. And so to get to commission writers has been really thrilling for us. In season one and season two, at least 50% of our playwrights have been BIPOC artists, which has been easy to do. You know, we, we just went out to phenomenal writers that we love. We thought about inclusion, certainly throughout the casting process. And again, hasn't felt challenging. There's nothing to buck up against that we only have to have the will and the uh, determination to do it. So we feel that responsibility, but we also feel great opportunity.
3: And we, you know, because of the way this works, we don't need actors. We can go to wherever they are. So the actors who have left the city, if they've moved back with their parents, they moved on, moved to another place. They can write their letters from anywhere in the world. The way we've set up the portal, all, all the audience responses come to us in Greenville. And then we upload them uh, onto this sort of website we created where the actors download the on-response and then they write and mail the letters from wherever they are. So we're able again to have accessibility and get actors from all over. They don't have to be close to us geographically.
1: Well, I I just want to thank you for that work. And uh, I know you're saying that it's easy and all it takes is will, but I, you know, even starting a new company, Uh, we're seeing some people like artistic stamp really take this moment and the challenge of, of doing better in our field and rising to it. We're seeing other people not do that. And so I, you know, I, I hear you saying it's really easy. I just, I just want to celebrate that you're doing it and thank you for doing that work.
2: Um, We we appreciate that. And I, and I, and I don't mean to make light of it in any way uh, and that there is work, for all of us to continue to do across the board. It's sort of the question of the time, of the moment, um, and and beyond. Uh, I guess I just mean I'm enjoying the freedom of not having to ask.
3: To have an artistic director tell you what to do.
1: (laughs) What you mean. fair enough fair enough uh, let's let's hope in the world that we li- we'll listen more to the artists and less to the artistic directors and i say that as an artistic director so um, yes. well and, uh, let, yes. i want let's talk a little bit about the future so currently at artisticstamp.com seasons 1 and 2 are available um, i'm curious if you have thoughts about the future and i and i want to lift it up because as i was preparing for this i was thinking about um, the fact that in the theater, we have some very famous stage plays that are essentially letters. You know, I, I really love La Liaison Dangereuse, which is based on letters. Um, obviously love letters by A.R. Gurney. Um, are there playwrights that you just one day dream of having participate in artistic stamp? Like who's your dream bucket list for this project?
3: Well, I mean, some of them I don't want to say because we are currently trying to woo them. And we do (laughs) Um, very famous playwrights that are currently involved in the season that are getting letters and they're like, oh, we love this. This is so cool. And we're like, okay, great. (laughs) <laughs> Want to write one? Um, but one another thing that we're interested in doing is actually beginning to go in residence to theater companies. That's a way that we're sort of excited to get our world out there, and it would really help us with the international stuff as well. So for season two, you know, three of our shows are... Um, at 59E59, e sold through them. And for season three, we are talking to several theater companies uh, that could offer some shows through that company exclusively to their members and their subscribers. So that's a really exciting development as well. Um, and, and that way, you know, we talk about like modeling ourselves after the city company, where we would have our own work that we would sort of tour and put in, you could get from our website. And then we could also be something that could be in residence at theater companies and other institutions.
2: Another thing that's Majorly in development for us is looking at educational opportunities. So we had a pilot in the first season with one of our shows that was entirely in a New York City school. That uh, where it would be four students on a letter to make it more economically feasible. But that has been incredibly successful in terms of them understanding more about really just basic letter writing, but also that kind of dialoguing within a story. But the uh, specifically on November Christine's piece, we've been looking at developing a large larger opportunity for it to uh, to grow beyond just the interaction with, with the school.
3: And I'm really interested in, in, for season three, doing a bilingual piece so that we would uh, have a piece that you could get in, in different languages. Um, intentionally, not just will be translated, but it was intentionally written by a bilingual artist to be a bilingual piece. And I think that would be very interesting, again, not only for non-English speakers or people who have English as a second language that want to be involved, but also for parents that are raising kids and want them to be able to communicate in two languages and learn both the language of their parents as well as the English language as they're growing up. So all that we're really excited about.
1: That seems like a really exciting and important next step uh, for Artistic Stamp. I I am a, a child who had a Chinese pen pal when I was, I don't know, seven, eight to about the time I was 11 to 12. And that Chinese young person had to write me in English because I did not speak Mandarin. And if there were an ability to sort of engage in a bilingual way with different cultures, uh, how exciting would that be for, for students to interact with in those ways? That's Um, exactly right. You know, Gabriel, Tim Hong's piece, uh, Gates of Remembering for season
3: two, he uh, it's about, a guy who he's American born and he goes back to Shanghai to take care of his ailing father. And he sort of experiences this cultural divide, um, being growing up in an America and going to Shanghai and seeing what China is like. And he is riding back to an American citizen. So if you get Gates remembering, you will have a Chinese pen pal again.
1: <laughs> uh Except that I know Tim. And so I would just be like, hi, hi, Tim. How are you? <laughs> okay. Well, we're, Coming up on the end of our time, um, but how do we sign up? How do how can we start getting these great letters?
3: So if you go to www.artisticsamp.com, uh, you can sign up. We do close ticket sales between seasons so that you sign up for our waiting list if we're not on sale yet. And then you'll be the first one. The waiting list always finds out a week before we announce publicly. Um, we have limited tickets each time, and we only put tickets on sale for a month. So you want to sign up and get on the waiting list if you want to be a part of this.
1: And uh, Shelley, I'll give you the last word. What, what do you hope this project does when we come out of the pandemic, when people aren't sheltered in place? What are you hoping for Artistic Sam?
2: I think this idea of connection is really important and it's important beyond the pandemic. I think that we are hearing from our audience now, please continue this after, you know, COVID is finally at bay, but that you know, we connect in all kinds of ways in person but we have become very centered on a digital life and that there's something cold about that and there's something about having this kind of intimate connection that I think specifically for artistic stamp but also in our lives We want to think about carrying forward.
1: That's perfect. Shelly and Wes, thank you so much for being here. Uh, The website, again, is artisticstamp.com. And we'll see you next time on Talking Direction.
0: Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at DramaLink. Talking Direction is a project of the DramaLink of New York, America's only not-for-profit lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage and films on television and across the internet. During the pandemic, we're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramaleague.org and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you a part of our Drama League family. Thank you for listening. Until next time.